I am by nature a planner. Someone who enjoys figuring things out ahead of time and executing them accordingly. You can ask my wife about how far ahead of time I will pack for a trip and how meticulous I am about ensuring that we have everything we need and trying to cut off any issues before they can arise. This is true of me. This is a huge part of who I am. But at the same time, I believe myself to be flexible. When I feel a pulling on my heart or a calling of the Holy Spirit trying to lead me to where I need to be or where I'm being called. For that reason, I've always felt a connection to the story of Gideon in the Old Testament. A story of God calling a man into action, the man inevitably making plans, and then God adjusting the plans according to what is best. You see, the the story of Gideon starts out with the Israelites in a time of hardship, famine, and uncertainty. And it's really all laid out in the book of Judges between chapters 6 and 8, if you'd like to get there. And it starts out by saying, The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of the Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the cross all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkey. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land and tried to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they called out to the Lord for help. You see, after the Lord delivered his people, the Israelites, from from Egypt, out of slavery, he brought them into the promised land and fulfilled centuries of their ancestors' prayers. He did all this, and it didn't take long for them to turn their backs on God. They started making offerings to other idols, praying to other gods, building altars. And this this is why God was angry with the Israelites, because they turned their backs on him who had done so much for them. But eventually they became so overwhelmed by their circumstances that they turned to the only one who could help and who had helped. When they had called out the Lord, listen, and he chose whom he would use to lead his people out from under the oppression of the Midianites. He chose a man to appear to that meets a lot of the character traits that we've come to know throughout the Bible. And just a quick side note. If you read through Judges, read through chapter 6, you'll read this interaction between Gideon and this angel. And it's abundantly clear that it's not, it's not an ordinary angel. If you can really say that there's an ordinary angel. But it's not, it's not like the other angels we read about in the Bible. And it's actually to be, believed to be what is called a theophany. And what that is, is it's believed that it's not an angel, but rather God in the flesh, or to put it other, in another way, it's Jesus appearing before his incarnation in Bethlehem. So this angel appears, appears to Gideon, and we're going to go with angel because that's what the scripture says, but I just thought that was interesting while I was studying. Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press, and it 
honestly, if you, if you know the baptistry that's here at the church, it's essentially a feeding trough. It's a lot like that. And Gideon is, is in there, and he's, he's bent over, and he's threshing this wheat, and he's hiding because he doesn't want to be seen. He doesn't want, he doesn't want the Midianites to see what's going on and take his food and take this from him because he's hungry. They're in a famine. He's bent over, and he's, he's threshing this wheat. And all of a sudden he hears, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And Gideon kind of like prairie dogs up, looks around. Probably sees this angel and like looks around like, is he talking to me? There's no one else here, so he he must be talking to me. This confused Gideon because he was a simple man and a man of really no extraordinary skills. He even points out that his clan is the weakest clan. And among them, he is the least. He is an unlikely hero. And all of this is true, but still God calls him to be mighty and to do his work. He had many of the characteristics that the Lord valued in his leaders. He had humility. He had a caring heart, a desire to see his people come to know better times. He was knowledgeable of what the Lord had done for his people previously. He was spiritually hungry. He desired to know this God of his ancestors. No more would he pray to Baal or Asherah. He was teachable, which is incredibly important. And he was lowly, which means he must rely on God's strength to carry him on to victory. You see, Gideon uh, is talking to this angel, and the angel is telling him all these things. You're going to lead this army and deliver your people from the Midianites. And Gideon kind of, in that moment, says, please wait here while I prepare a proper offering. And he goes back and he gets some wheat and he gets, a, he gets a bowl and he brings it back and he offers it up as an offering. And this angel uh, strikes down on the, the offering, which immediately turns into flame and goes up into heaven. And in that moment, Gideon realizes that he truly is speaking to someone sent by God himself. And he is fearful. And the angel says, do not worry. I offer you an opportunity to come and serve. And that night, he, uh, the, the angel asks him, go into the town and tear down the altar of Baal and strike down the tower of Asherah. So Gideon, at night, because he's a little afraid, grabs his, his servant, and they go down, and they do exactly that. In the morning, the town is obviously just shocked because the altars to their deities have been destroyed. And Joash, I always read it as Yosh, because that's just how my mind goes. Uh, so I'm going to call him Yosh. Yosh says, if Baal was as strong and as mighty as you claim he is, would he not have struck down my son as he tore down this altar? And from there, the Israelites realized that the people, the deities they've been praying to are not going to deliver them. But maybe the God of their ancestors would. Before Gideon would have the courage to raise up an army, though, he, he first asked a test of the Lord, which is something that we're told not to do very, very specifically multiple times. But Gideon lived in a time where he hadn't seen God. He hadn't heard of God. He hadn't heard God. He hadn't seen any of these things. And so he said, God, I, I want to follow you. I want to follow you. 
I just ask a simple test, though. Tonight, when I go to, before I go to bed, I will lay out a wool, a pelt. And if I wake up in the morning and that pelt is wet but the ground is dry, I'll know that you are who you say you are. And so Gideon goes to bed, and in the morning he wakes up, and the ground is dry. It's dirt. And it's a lot like central Oregon, I'm sure. But the pelt is just soaked wet. It's, in the scriptures it says it is a bowl full of water. And Gideon is, is, is almost there, and he says, God, you did it. You answered my call. I'm sorry to do this, but what you're asking me to do is so impossible. I just need to ask one more test. Tonight before I go to bed, again, I will lay out the pelt. I will lay out the wool. And if I wake up in the morning and that pelt is, is dry, but the ground is wet, I'll do whatever you ask. I will follow you. I will go wherever you lead me. And so he goes to sleep. And that morning he wakes up. And the ground is just saturated. It is covered in dew. And he walks over to the wool, and it is bone dry. And in that moment, he says, okay, God, I am your servant. I will follow you. I'll do whatever you have for me. The Lord met the challenges, and Gideon felt confident that surely this was the God of his people, and he could do mighty things through him and deliver them once more. And, and this is what... What I love, because surely in that moment, Gideon's like, all right, I got to lead an army. I don't know how to do that, but uh, we're going to try and plan it out. We're going to get battle plans drawn up. I'm going to get leaders, and we're going to figure it out. So he assembles an army, and he gets these battle plans drawn out. And then shortly after that, the Lord says, you got too many guys. Gideon, you have too many men. It says, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands, or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. God wants this army to be totally reliant on him. He doesn't want there to be any doubt in their mind that it is his victory through them, not by sheer numbers that they have been delivered. So he had Gideon say to his troops, if any of you are fearful, you may leave. And at these words, 22,000 people bolt like that. 22,000 people. And it's said that he's left with a force of a little over 10,000. That's two-thirds of his army just gone. And I'm sure Gideon's standing up there looking out, seeing two-thirds of his army having gone, and he starts to think, okay, well, you know, 11,000 people, God, you, you've done amazing things, and you can do this. And so I'm sure he starts to, to build more, weapon, or more battle plans, trying to figure out, okay, how can, we, how can we get this to go? How can this work? And then God says once more, there's still too many men. And has Gideon lead them down to the water and says, take them down to the water, and I will thin them out from, for you there. Separate those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog laps from those who kneel down to drink. 300 of them drank from their cupped hands, lapping like dogs. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. Finally, God says, with these 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. And just like that, the army has gone from 33,000 all the way down to 10,000, all the way down to 300. And I'm not going to ask you to do the math. I already did it. I cheated. But that's less than 1%, less than one one-hundredth of its original size. 
300 people is about how many people we could fit in this room if we stood up and were real close and didn't care about social distancing or whatever. Can you imagine an army the size of this room going up an incalculable army for the Midianites. And that is now what Gideon is called to do. And he's just tearing up the plans at this point. He's tearing up the plans because his army is tiny, it's undermanned, it's underpowered. And he's just praying to God that he would truly deliver them from their oppressors. And with Gideon discouraged, God now says to him, If you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Pura and listen to what they are saying. Afterwards, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. So Gideon grabs Pura, and they start walking down to the camp. And I'm sure it would not take very long for them to see it because the scripture says their numbers of them and their camels was so innumerable, it would be like counting the sand on the seashore. That is a big group of people. I can imagine, I can't imagine, honestly I can't, but just walking into a big crowd, and walking towards a big crowd, I can feel my blood pressure going up. I can feel my anxiety <laughs> spiking. And Gideon can spot this camp for many miles. When he reaches the outskirts of this camp, he kneels down and he hears a man telling his friend of a dream he had, saying, A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling down into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. And his friend responds, This can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Yosh, the Israelites. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. And when Gideon hears this, I can just imagine him just fist pumping in the air, just like, yes, 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 yes. And he bows down and he worships and says, God, thank you, thank you, thank you. And he runs back to his camp, finally understanding how he and 300 men can take out this enemy. And so understanding that, he took his 300 men and he further divided them into three companies of 100 and told them to arm themselves, not with weapons, but rather with trumpets, okay, uh, clay jars, and torches. That's it. That's all they're going to use to take out this incalculable army. Trumpets, clay jars, and torches. And he had the, the companies surround the camp, and on his signal, they blasted those trumpets. They smashed their pots, and they held their torches high up in the air, screaming, for the sword of the Lord and for Gideon. And by this time, the tale of the dream had reached much of the camp. And in a panic and believing themselves to be surrounded, many knights ran from their tents and in the chaos and confusion rose their swords against their own men laying waste to their own army while some fled soon to be caught by the Israelites. You see, God had done it through the Israelites. There is no doubt in their mind that God had procured this victory, that God had done this great work, and that he had done it through Gideon. This story speaks to me because it reinforces the old adage that if man makes plans, God does what? He laughs. It brings to mind countless times in the last few years where I planned things or attempted to plan things, and they have not gone according to my plan. I now 
know. And I think now of the confusion of Gideon as he watched his army just be just chopped maliciously from 33,000 people down to 10,000 people, down to 300, to less than 1% of its original size. That, sorry, I keep repeating that, but it just it blows my mind. And how being unsure of how he is going to lead the people from oppression. You see, several years ago I had the privilege of preaching, and I've preached since then, but in this particular one, uh, I had the privilege of preaching, and true to tradition, just like every, literally every time I've ever preached at Public Christian Church, I rewrote my sermon the night before, and ultimately felt led the next morning, Sunday morning, as I'm walking into the pulpit, to scrap a large portion of my sermon at that moment, and simply just wing it, and Trey never forgot that, <laughs> and every time I've preached since then, he says, it's fine if you wing it, because you can do that. But don't tell them that you're winging it. They don't need to know. So maybe that's just my honesty. <laughs> my honesty getting in the way. I'm a little bit too, too, uh, too sh- willing to share. But I do think that winging it has a, a negative connotation. Uh, thinking of being ill-prepared or not caring as much as I should. But really, what I mean by winging it and what I think... Gideon has to do with that as well, and how he could identify with it as well, is that in that moment, I was not confined by the work that I had done or the plan that I had laid down, but instead allowed myself to be a spirit for the vessel to speak through. And that's what I meant by winging it. See, Gideon, for much of his preparation, was just winging it. All right, God, I got, a, I got an army of 33,000 people. We're going to go down and we're going to take down the Midianites. It's going to be great. Okay, God, I have an army of 10,000 people. It's going to be difficult, but we're going to do it. All right, God. Me and these 299 other guys are going to take our musical instruments, um, the things that we're holding our water, and some lights, and we're going to take down this army that kind of looks like a seashore because there's so many of them. He was just winging it. But because of his faith, he allowed God to work through him. He allowed himself to be sensitive to the Spirit and willing to do what he was called to do. When you find yourself in a situation and you're not sure how to act, pause and pray. See if you can feel the Holy Spirit tugging you to do something that maybe you would never consider. You may not have to lead a tiny army with no real weapons, but maybe you just need to rely on someone else's strength rather than your own. You might find yourself in the middle of a chaotic time, like many of us have over the last few years, trying to find a way out of a tough spot, or plan your way out. See, the best laid plans of man are still far, far inferior to the plans of God. Uh, at this time, I'd really like to invite the, the worship team back up, and I'd also like to invite the, the elders, any elders in the room, to stand up uh, along, wherever they are, maybe just find their way to the front of the stage or the side of the room. So just winging it, being sensitive to the Spirit. But the other thing I would like for you to take from this message is that God loves his people. So the Israelites turned their backs on God, pretty much didn't acknowledge him, disowned him, said we're going to worship these these idols, these altars, this Baal, this Asherah. 
And God was sitting there just anxiously anticipating them to turn back so that he can embrace them. God loves his people. And in the Old Testament, it's specifically the Israelites. But in the New Testament, you learn that it's not only the Israelites, but it's anybody who's willing to call on the name of the Lord. We are his children, and his plans for us are great. His plans for you are great. And so if you feel like you're stuck in a rut, like nothing that you have, you've tried is working, or maybe you feel a tug on your heart that you can no longer ignore, I want you to hear what I have to say next. Really, please, I, I beg you, if you hear nothing else, I want you to hear this. You are loved. You are loved by a father who gave up everything to know you. A father who gave up his one and only son, just to have a chance for you and him to be in a relationship. You are so loved. The second thing is you are valued by that same God and by this body of believers for who you are and for what you were made for. And finally, you are chosen. You are chosen by that same God to do amazing things that can and will affect the eternities of all those you come in contact with. Now, many of, you knew, many of you in here probably already have a relationship with the Lord, which worse, I love. That's great. That's the best thing. That's the best thing that we can have. But at the same time, I think there are some people in this room that, that don't know Jesus. Or maybe you have known Jesus and have walked away. And to you, I'd like to take a moment in this room, be quiet. And just listen and feel. Do you have a tugging on your heart? Maybe you've tried for years and years and years and just tried to do it your own way, but you can no longer ignore that little gnawing at the back of your heart saying, come to me. My way is better. I love you. I value you. And I choose you day and day again. If you feel that, I'm going to ask you guys to bow your heads with me and pray. But if you, if you feel that, I'd very much like for you to pray alongside me. It's going to take a little boldness, kind of like Gideon. Father God, you are who you say you are. You are everything that I've ever needed. I am a sinner I have fallen short time and time and time again, and I've tried to make it work. But God, please, please take from me all that is hindering me. Take the garbage that I hold on to, Lord, and make me righteous through your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I would just pray that whatever is holding me back, you would just remove so that I can embrace you wholly as you Try to embrace me. Lord, God, please enter my life and make me your vessel so that I can go from here and become who you created me to be. Be my savior. Be my father. Be my teacher. Be my friend. And from this day forward, may I never lose sight of whose I am, and that is yours. Amen. If you pray that prayer, I'm going to ask you to be bold.
Because when you pray that prayer, no longer are you alone, but you are a member of this body, of this family, of the body of Christ. And if you prayed that prayer, I'm going to ask you to find one of the elders and pray with them so that we can celebrate with you. And as Trey always says, I love you. I love serving as your pastor. It is my great privilege to do so. Know that you are loved, you are valued, and that you are chosen. And welcome to the body of Christ. Thank you.